Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. great privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning and it really is a great privilege. So for starters I wanted to ask has anyone here ever looked into their family tree? A couple of hands there. At first glance family trees and particularly if you're looking through um, say the old family Bibles that have got all the names there or you're looking through, you know, photos that have got names written on the back and you're like, I don't know who that is. They can sort of seem like this never-ending list of names that are completely meaningless, full of people that you don't even know. But when you actually look into the stories of these people, who they were and what they did, you can actually find some really interesting stories. So, Mum and I went through some last night, going through Ancestry.com, and we found that, like, half of our family is on Ancestry.com, and that was really cool. And we were connecting the dots on some fantastic um, family stories. So, if I can have the first photo up. Coming. There we are. This guy here, circled in the back, his name is Jack Jemison. He was one of 12 children. He grew up in, and I need to pronounce this correctly because you can't use the Victorian pronunciation or the um, New South Wales pronunciation. You have to use the original um, pronunciation from the area, Newcastle in England. Not Newcastle, okay? The Geordie accent doesn't stretch that far, Newcastle. Okay, and he was born around about the turn of the century. He worked in the coal mines in England before coming out to Australia where he met, next picture please, Alice Powell. Alice is the granddaughter of, next picture please, Georgina Jane Keith, who was quite famous for petitioning for the rights of women to vote in Australia. Georgina was the daughter of Anthony Adrian Keith, who was born in Scotland, the son of Adrian Alexander Keith Falconer, ninth Lord of Hawkerton and Earl of Kintore, whose ancestors fought off the English alongside their good friend, William Wallace. But more interestingly, Jack and Alice, back to them, please, had one daughter, who you can see there, and her name was Patricia. And Patricia, next picture please, was the mother of Pamela, and Pamela was the mother of me. And when I was young, I would read through, just like going through family um, trees, I would read through the Bible and come across those long lists of genealogies. You know, guys know the ones? The ones of the names of so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they begat that one and the other one. And I would be like, okay, can we just get through all that to the real Bible, the actual, where the book actually starts? Because there was a great, just a great big long list of names that didn't really mean anything. 
So, we're going to start this morning with Matthew chapter 1. Can we go to that, please? Thank you. Okay. No, no, the video, please. Thank you. The book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez. And Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the son, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And I'm going to get some of these wrong, so I apologize. And Ram was the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah was the father of Asaph, and Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram, Joram was the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh was the father of Amos, and Amos was the father of Josiah, Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of, I'm going to get this one wrong, Shiltiel, and Shiltiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abwid, and he was the father of Elakim, and Elakim was the father of Azor, and Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok and Zadok was the father of Achim, and Achim, I probably pronounced that one wrong, Achim was the father of Eloid, and he was the father of Eliza, and Eliza was the father of Matan, Matan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Thank you. Now you can go back to that photo, Michaela. But when you go back through these lists and you've read through the Old Testament and familiarised yourself with some of the stories in the, of the people in that lineage, it starts to get interesting. And so this morning, we're going to focus on this little section here. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was the father of... Sorry, Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, okay? So we're going back to Rahab. Now, what's interesting is that God, who upholds sexual morality, proudly lists Rahab as an ancestor of Jesus. So we're going to have a look at what that's all about, because Rahab is an amazing story about an amazing woman who saved a nation and changed the course of her family history. So we're going to start with some background, because who knows, who knows I like to nerd. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Moses has taken the Israelites out of Egypt and slavery with God parting the Red Sea in the pro and uh, yeah parting the Red Sea in the process. After receiving the law at Mount Sinai, Moses sends spies into the promised land of Canaan. But 10 of the 12 spies, as we know, report back that the land is full of giants, Nephilim, the sons of Anak. 
the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men of Genesis 6 who became the legends of old, according to scripture, probably something similar to Goliath. So naturally, they're terrified. And so because of their lack of faith in God to deliver them from that, God sends them wandering out in the desert for 40 years. Okay, now I'm going to need you to bring up that next picture, Michaela, please. Then God begins to lead his people up towards the land of Canaan. So I hope I can read this. So they're, ooh, there we are. Okay, so they're coming up through here. And after avoiding some conflict in Moab here, they come to Kedemoth. Now I've got to get this right. There we are. Hang on. There's Kedemoth, where they send a message to King Sion of the Amorites, who has conquered the northern section of Moab. So that is this section along here, okay? And they asked him for safe passage through the land. King Sion responds by sending his entire army and attacking the Israelites at Jahaz. So Jahaz is, where are we? There's Jahaz right there. My hand is shaky. Sorry about that, guys. And Israel defeats the Amorites and now occupies the land of northern Moab from the river Arnon, which is the river Arnon down there, all the way up to the river Jabbok, which is... Where's that? Oh, up there. Okay, so the Israelites are now occupying that entire section there. We clear? Good. Israel then continues to move north and are attacked by King Og of Bashan. This is, this is Bashan up here, this area here, at this place here called Edri. And I'm probably pronouncing them wrong. I apologise. Now, King Og has a fierce reputation earning an almost mythological image as an impossible opponent, right? Think back to those giants, the Nephilim, sons of Anak, that kind of image, okay? But in Numbers 21, 34, we hear that Moses says to, sorry, God says to Moses, do not be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you. Have we got the scripture for that, Michaela? Thanks. I've handed him over to you the same as you did to King Sion of the Amorites who ruled in Heshbon. And so they did. The Israelites defeated the army, killing King Og and his sons and people and occupying that entire land. If you can go back to that picture, Michaela. Yep. So that entire section from the bottom, all the, from the river down here, all the way up to the top now, Israel. Occupying that whole space, taken over from kings who had legendary status as impossible opponents. And this is the background to the story of Rahab. Because Rahab lives in Jericho. Now, Jericho is, where are we? Um, Jericho's just there, okay? So Israel's occupying this whole space, Jericho's right there, okay? 40 kilometres away from where Israel defeated King Sion. The occupants of Jericho know 
these Israelites have defeated these famous kings and their armies and taken over the land, and they are terrified. Which brings us to Rahab. You can read about Rahab in uh, Joshua chapters 2 to 6, but this morning I'm just going to retell her story. So Rahab was a Canaanite woman whose house was built into the famous walls of the walled city of Jericho. The Bible says she was a prostitute. Other traditional texts also indicate that she was an innkeeper. So when Joshua sent two spies to Jericho, Rahab's house was an obvious choice for a place to stay. It wouldn't look at all suspicious for a couple of young foreign men to spend a night there, plus it was nice and close to the exit. But the people of Jericho were on edge. They'd seen the Israelite army camped just on the other side of the Jordan River and they'd heard what happened to those two famous kings. And so someone, maybe one of Rahab's neighbours, saw the men and reported it directly to the king of Jericho who sent orders for Rahab to bring the men out. And in this moment, Rahab has a choice. She could either turn the men in out of fear of the king and face the God of the Israelites who destroyed King Sion and King Og, or she can hide the spies and risk the king of Jericho finding out and putting her to death, probably her family as well. This was a pretty big moment for Rahab. Rahab had a home. She probably had a fair degree of wealth. And Jericho's walls had never been defeated. But she had heard what Israel's God was capable of. And so in that moment, she made a choice that would alter the course of history. She took the two spies up onto the roof and hid them under piles of flax. Joshua 2, verses 4 to 5. Michaela, can we grab them? Says, then she replied to the king's men. The king, sorry, the men were here earlier. Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. I didn't know. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. And to her shock and relief, the king's men left and hurried to the city gates to try to catch the spies. I imagine at that point her heart would have been racing as she came to terms with what she'd just done. Her hands may have been shaking as she went back up to her roof and spoke to the spies. Joshua 9, sorry, 2 verses 9 to 13, we read that she says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one. Come on, Michaela. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God in the heavens, of the heavens above and the earth below. 
Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, Michaela, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all of their families. And so the spies made an oath for Rahab's safety and the safety of her family so long as they remained within the house during the attack. And with that, Rahab helped the spies escape by a rope out the window and advised them to hide in the hill country for three days before returning to the Israelite camp, which they did. And sure enough, when Israel attacked Jericho, which we're going to hear about another day, Rahab's house was spared and the two spies returned and escorted Rahab and her family, her mother, father, brothers and relatives to safety near the camp of Israel. And so Rahab gave up her earthly possessions, all of her earthly possessions, and put her trust, her faith and her life entirely in the hands of the God of Israel. And what was taken from her, her home and her wealth, was restored to her in multiples. She was taken into the nation of Israel. She marries an Israelite from the tribe of Judah called Salmon. She gains a family and we know that she has at least one son called Boaz. We know that Boaz is a wealthy man, so it's safe to say that um, her wealth is almost definitely restored to her. Boaz, of course, marries Ruth, um, the Moabite, who came to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and you can read about that in the book of Ruth. And so Rahab is the mother of Boaz, the grandmother of Obed, the great-grandmother of Jesse, and the great-great-grandmother of David, who with the same faith goes on to fight Goliath and then becomes king. Now I want you to bookmark that thought for a moment, okay, because we're going to take a slight detour. Okay, so shortly after Israel... As shortly after Israel defeated the city of Jericho, they turned their attention to a small town, and I don't know how to pronounce this one, which is ridiculous because it is two letters. A-A-I. Anyone, anyone able to help? A? We'll just go with A. Okay, good. I? A-I? We'll go with A, just because it sounds nice and Aussie. A? Now, this is a small town, so they attacked with a small army, a little bit bigger than, like, the, the spies came back and they said, two to 3,000 men. They went with 3,000. And they were confident in their victory. I mean, after all, they'd just defeated Jericho, right? The unconquerable city. But they were soundly defeated. And the men of Ai chased them out of town, killing 36 of their men and humiliating the rest. And so Joshua consults the Lord as to how they could have lost such an easy battle. And the Lord told them it was because one of the Israelites had sinned and disobeyed the direct instruction that all of the gold and silver taken as plunder from Jericho was to be taken directly to the Lord's treasury. It was identified that a man by the name of Achan, I think, A-C-H-A-N, of the tribe of Judah had stolen gold, silver and an ornate robe and hidden them buried beneath his tent. He had stolen from God 
and then he lied about it. As a consequence, Achan and his entire family, all of his possessions, including his animals, were put to death and burned. There is no, and Achan was the father of, his lineage stops right there. It was cut off. Unlike Rahab, Achan had seen the miracles with his own eyes. If he wasn't there when they parted through the Red Sea on dry ground, his parents at least would have been. And they would have told him the story. He would have heard the stories of the plagues, of the Nile turning to blood, of the firstborn of Egypt, Egypt being killed and, the, and all of the Israelites being spared. He was probably among the men who fought against King Sion and, and the mighty King Og. And we know that he was almost definitely in the army that watched God bring down the walls of Jericho and who conquered that city. And yet he chose to give in to his lust for a few shiny things and earthly possessions and instead gave up his trust and faith in his God. And everything that he had, his wealth, his reputation, his family, and even his life was taken from him. His lineage stops, his, his family line stops there. So, point one, no God. Rahab knew the God of Israel. She'd heard the stories and she knew that he was sovereign over everything and everyone. If you don't know that, read the word, pray, ask God to reveal himself to you. Talk to other Christians. Listen to testimonies. There are amazing testimonies even within this church and we don't hear enough of them. They will build your faith. They will help you to understand and see the God that you serve. Get to know him. Point two, trust God. God wants our love, but he also requires our loyalty, our trust. To really love God is to hand our lives over to him and trust that he has our best interests at heart, just like Rahab did. Hebrews 11.31 says, It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. To say that we love God without trusting him is a falsehood. If we truly believe that he is, the, he is who he says he is and who the Bible says he is, then that requires not only our warm, fuzzy feelings, but also our actions, our response. Like Rahab, we need to put our complete trust in God. Romans 15 verse 13 says, I pray that God the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Point three, obey God. Love, trust and obedience 
are all tied in together. You can't really have one without the others. Now, God knows you're not perfect. Guess what? Neither was Rahab. Lamentations, though, in verse chapter 3, sorry, yeah, chapter 3, verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. Rahab wasn't relying on her own goodness. She was relying on the might of God to save her and placed her life and future firmly in his hands. Achan, on the other hand, thought he could cheat God. He wanted a little insurance, a little wealth, a few shiny things on the side. Now, it is easy to take a few things for ourselves, to hedge our bets, but ultimately, if we are honest with ourselves, it comes from a place of not really trusting that God has, that God's plan is what is best for us. And this was absolutely the case for Achan. Despite everything, he didn't trust God's plan for his life and future and took matters into his own hands. He put himself ahead of God. James writes of Rahab in James chapter 2, verse 25. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God when her by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Now, you might remember a few months back, I shared a message on worship. I said that worship is... Um, you can t- turn that away now, Mill. Thanks. I said that worship is putting God where he belongs and us where we belong. And Rahab recognised that. She declared who God was and she put her trust in him completely, not only to save her life, but to sustain her afterwards, ride or die. And God was faithful. So I want to ask you, where is your faith? It is easy to believe in God, even to see him working in the lives of those around you and then to turn away Give in to temptation and put your faith in something other than God. In your plans, in your job, in your home, your family, your financial stability. But if you are truly willing to love, trust and obey God, even and especially when your heart is pounding or you're tempted by shiny things, because we all are, if you are willing to make God your ride or die, then God will use your story. You might not make it into a biblical genealogy, but the story of your life will be one that is told by your children and your children's children as they recount the stories of your faith and your faithfulness. And even if it isn't, it will be one of eternal value and eternal reward. So that is my challenge to you guys this morning. When you read through the Bible and you're looking through these stories, ask yourself, do I want to have the faith of Rahab? Or am I going after shiny things like Achan? Thanks, guys.